Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Three Down Nation podcast. Before we get underway, check in midweek. We might be having some new, fresh content rolling out between our Thursday, Friday episodes, heading into the CFL draft, some exclusive interviews. It's going to be a good time. But before that, today we are discussing the odds for the 2021 Great Cup. Six Canadians being invited to the 2021 NFL Scouting Combine and lots more. But first, Dunkster, you're working on a piece that should be out this weekend regarding what each of the league's nine starting quarterbacks will earn in 2021. What can you tell us about it? You know it, buddy. Keep it locked to Three Down Nation over the weekend because it will definitely drop. As you mentioned, Hodge, it goes into detail about the COVID-19 market reset for the quarterbacks. Mike Riley and Bo Levi Mitchell had pushed that market well over $700,000, especially Riley, because his original four-year contract with the Lions went up every single season. But because of the financial ramifications of the pandemic on teams throughout the league, those numbers have dropped. So Riley will still be the highest paid quarterback and player in the league at $525,000. That's all in hard money. For the uninitiated, that's kind of the guaranteed money term in the CFL, Hodge. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And and by the way, uh, I've, I've heard people suggest, oh, there should be a, a cap geek uh, for the CFL. Um, that will never exist because CFL contracts are super complicated. My goodness, you've looked at them. I've looked at them. Can we give a best guess? Yes, but the reality is, you know, if a guy catches 34 passes versus 35, that could be the difference between 500 bucks, right? So, uh, yes, complicated, but yes, some of the verbiage that you're using is generally accepted. And on that note, real quick, it should be said that that's actually part of the reason the Saskatchewan Rough Riders went over the salary cap in 2013 because Brendan Labatt had an all-star bonus in his contract, and it's hard to account for those things when you're trying to hit that cap number nearly bang on or be just below it. So we'll see that in the piece, how all of these contracts are broken down. Riley's is fairly simple. Bolivai Mitchell's gets a little more wordy in terms of what's in there, including six tickets per game for each Stampeders home game. I thought that was kind of interesting. But then you go down the list and you see how the different structures are laid out. So Bolivai Mitchell checks in at number two, and we'll let you check out the piece for the rest of it. But I find it very intriguing to look at, Hodge, sort of what you were getting at, how the deals are broken down. Because it can show you either... One, how much faith the team has in that quarterback for that given year. Or two, how much the quarterbacks actually have to play games to earn the money. Well, there's there's two key things there, right? One is the upfront money. We talked about this a little bit on last week's show with, with Toronto and all the speculation about them, you know, apparently just being millions of dollars over the cap with all the guys they've signed, <laughs> is the signing bonus money applies to the salary cap immediately, and it doesn't matter if that player remains under contract, gets cut, retires, whatever. A famous example, ahead of the 2018 season, the Bombers give Darian Durant a $70,000 signing bonus to go be their backup. He retires, boom, that that money's gone the bombers lost it against the cap it's it's forever forever gone uh but the the other thing man uh, yeah well darian durant one last one last (laughs) honorable move for rider nation taking 70 g's out of the bombers coffers 
uh, that he later said he deserved, which I found interesting, considering that he'd never once suited up for the team. But hey, teams <laughs> screw players over all the time, so I don't have any problem with people like Darian Durant doing the opposite, right? Teams cut you before a bonus. It's only fair when players do the opposite. But the other thing is, right, some of these players, if they end up on the six-game injured list, when players are on that list, their money does not count against the salary cap. And so if you're a team with a quarterback and you feel like there's a decent chance that quarterback could do a six-game stint on the injured reserve, well, heck, you're, you, you get out of jail free. It doesn't matter what that guy is making. That money comes off the cap. So there's all kinds of interesting ways. I've already taken a peek at the article, and uh, I'm excited for our readers to get the chance to check it out as well. Uh, you mentioned off the top that there's no salary cap calculator in the CFL. Of course there's not. But I would argue that we're the best at that. We have the most contract numbers of any outlet, and we have some projects down the line where we might get to it. Six Canadians, Mr. Hodge, received invitations to the 2021, let's call it the virtual NFL Scouting Combine. The record for most Canadians selected in the same NFL draft is four, and you can read that piece on three down. That's how we know. It was set in 2014. Do you think we'll see that record? Do you think we'll see that record broken this year? I think there's a really good chance, to, to be very honest. There's a few guys who are absolute locks to get picked. Alaric Jackson, the left tackle out of Iowa, is going to get picked. He might get moved to guard at the NFL level, but personally, I think he's great at tackle. I think it's a lock that you're going to see Javon Holland, the nickel corner slash strong safety out of Oregon, get picked. I think Benjamin St. Just, the Montreal native out of the University of Minnesota, gets picked because he's a corner and he's six foot four. How many guys do you see like that, even in the NFL draft? The answer is very, very few. I think Josh Palmer's a lock to get picked out of Tennessee, the receiver. All he has to do is, I think, test well. Uh, his numbers from the Volunteers weren't elite, but they have not had a good quarterback situation. He really impressed people at the Senior Bowl. And then Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, 2020 season was not his best. He did not come close to matching the numbers he put up in his Heisman Trophy candidate season in 2019, but I still think he gets picked as a day three guy, maybe round you know, five, six. The one who's on the fence is Eamon Ogbong-Mamiga, his college teammate, but I think there's a very real chance that we see five guys get picked, and worst case scenario, I think that record from 2014 is tied with four guys getting picked. How about you, Dunkster? I'm with you, man. I could see it being tied, and I could also see it being broken. The thing that I've learned throughout the years, Hodge, and you know this well too, is that the NFL draft is so unpredictable. You try to get a sense, and we do our best job of projecting it, talking to scouts on both sides of the border. Obviously, we have more connections than the CFL, but they're always talking to their trusted people in NFL front offices, trying to get a sense of where guys may go to adjust their CFL draft boards. But over the years, we've seen guys either slide and become priority free agents that get signed after the draft that we thought were going to be drafted. And other years, we see guys taken earlier. Let's say last year, for example, Chase Claypool. I talked to a number of people who felt like he was a later round guy, gets picked in the second round by the Steelers and obviously had a breakout season. Dunkster. There are great cup odds up at Bodog Canada with Hamilton as the favorite at plus 300 and Ottawa with the long shot at plus 1400. 
I know your take on this is wrong. We already did a video about this, but I'll ask you to repeat it for our podcast listeners so that a year from now, I can make fun of you for your selection. (laughs) Well, if people want to see our ugly mugs, the video is pinned to our Three Down Nation Twitter handle, so check that out for sure. And the odds are certainly intriguing, Hodge. Now, you called the Red Blocks a long shot. I would argue that they have no shot. They probably shouldn't even be on the board. I think it's a bit of a waste of money. For me, where I think you should put the cash, yeah, man, I said it, is the Calgary Stampeders. Bo Levi Mitchell, when healthy, is the current GOAT in the CFL. He's like the Patrick Mahomes, let's say, of the Canadian Football League. When he's healthy, Calgary competes for cups. It's that simple. At plus 500, you are potentially getting some easy money there, and I think some great value. The other team that I like happens to be just down, I believe it's Highway 2, up in Edmonton, where the Edmonton football team has constructed this roster. Some people around the league, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the Argos, and we know they're under the cap or they'll be fine, are looking at the Edmonton football team and wondering how they're going to be under the salary cap. Well, we'll leave that for general manager Brock Sunderland to worry about. But that team's ultra-talented. The difference, though, in a scenario where we might have a shortened season, I like the continuity in Calgary at quarterback Dave Dickinson there, John Huffnagel, it's tried and proven. Jamie Elizondo, first-year head coach, gets a little bit more risky, but when you're talking plus 900, might be worth it. Yeah, and they got Shane Bergman and Brad Erdos and Eric Rogers and Cordero. Oh, wait, yeah, that's right. They don't have any of those guys anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, Calgary is going to be a good team, but my thing is the West Division is an absolute dogfight. We saw those teams cannibalize each other last year. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers did come out on top. They made an amazing run, right, winning three straight road games and, and, and winning a championship. Great for them. The odds of that happening again are astronomical. The best team in the CFL in 2019 was the Hamilton Tiger Cats. There's no arguing that. 15-3, and three, and they have the benefit of being in that soft East Division. The East Division has been far inferior. The numbers bear that out over the past decade. And the Hamilton Tiger Cats, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they, they just got to play, you know, decent ball and guess what? They're hosting that East final, which means there's a good chance they go to the Grey Cup. And if they get there, they're playing at home. Plus 300. Yeah, the juice isn't amazing, but I'm I'm very comfortable taking the Ticats. I think there's a great chance they're crowned Grey Cup champs this year. And plus 300, it's still worth your time. Folks, we'll be right back with more of the Three Down Nation podcast. Hodge, our guy, J.C. Abbott, wrote an incredible piece about two early black CFL players, Robert Ellis Jackson and Russ Gideon. It was a must read, and if you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. How did you feel about it, buddy? Well, this summer, I did a little bit of homework. I checked out a book that's called Gridiron Underground by James R. Wallen, and it's a fantastic read. It's essentially about how black football players uh, came to Canada and many of them doing it because the United States was not welcoming either of players of their skin color at all, or, or maybe they weren't comfortable a little later on with players of, you know, their, their skin color playing the quarterback position. And, and, you know, Tony Dungy talked about that a little bit this week. We know Warren moon, for instance, was, was not somebody who was going to be seen as a quarterback in the NFL. That's why he came to Canada. 
Uh, but it's amazing that that historically Herb Trowick was, you know, and, and, and I mean, I guess technically still is viewed as the first black player in Canadian professional football. He joined the Montreal Alouettes in 1946, was an amazing talent, Hall of Fame player. There's a public park with his name in Montreal. Uh, and part of the reason he was there is Jackie Robinson that same year played for the Montreal Royals, uh, who were the farm team for the Book and Dodgers at the time. And, and Montreal, by all accounts, totally embraced Jackie Robinson, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, but something that's really interesting to me is, you know, I think sometimes we think of progress being linear, right? We're always getting better all the time and more accepting and more open. Uh, and that's not true because Robert Ellis Jackson and Russ Gideon played Canadian professional football almost 20 years prior to that before essentially the teams all got together and said, you know what? We don't want any more black players on our teams. We want to shut this down while we have the chance. And so the fact that these two uh, black individuals played, and I'm sure as part of that were treated with horrible discrimination and then were, you know, almost just kiboshed, like, like completely, you know, forgotten to time. There's very few details. There's a little bit of photographic evidence. There's a little bit of, of, of journalism from that time that proves that they're real. But I think it's, it's awful that these players haven't had more fanfare and more recognition associated with them. And I'm really glad and proud of the fact that JC was able to showcase them on our site. And did the research, man. That was the key part to me. And there's a lot of players in the CFL's past that get a lot of attention for breaking or helping break, we should say, the color barrier. I know in Hamilton, obviously Bernie Custis is a big one, has a school named after him, and he's talked about a lot in the city. I do the sports anchoring there for CHCH, the television station in the city, and he's hailed as a great figure. There's no doubt about that. But there are others, as JC had uncovered in this piece, that deserve our attention and I believe our applause. Well said, Dunkster. Well said. Ryan Dinwiddie said on The Waggle this week, quote, I'm always a little bit wary of the fact that you get some of these big name guys that come in and a lot of times these guys don't make the roster, end quote. He's referencing, of course, some big name NFLers and the Argos have signed a lot of big name NFLers this offseason Dunkster, do you have the same concern? I don't in the sense that you can cut them. And the contracts that the Argos have signed them to include largely no upfront money. Martavis Bryant, for example, didn't have a signing bonus and is on a minimum salary deal. So everyone freaks out about the salary cap, but the Argos haven't paid him a red cent yet. So I understand where Dinwiddie's coming from. And to me, it's more like he's trying to set the tone, Hodge, because he also said... Then in the CFL, you play for the love of the game, where in the NFL, there's more players that are playing for that big, fat paycheck that you get down there because of the wage disparity. The minimum salary in the CFL, we well know, Hodge, $65,000. In the NFL, I believe it's well north than 400000 So we're talking different earnings groups there altogether. And I really feel like Dinwiddie's just trying to set the tone that, hey, we got a number of these NFL guys coming in. And if you look at the defensive line, Shane Ray, Coney, Ely, Eli Harold, I don't even think all those guys can make the roster just in terms of sheer numbers. So he wants a competitive training camp, and it's probably going to be a short one and one where you have to assimilate to the game quickly. So those guys better be studying the game before they even potentially get up here for a season. And to me, it's just Dinwiddie showing. He maybe has some veteran coach savvy, knowing that the players are going to read this 
and understanding that, hey, they better be ready to go if they get up to Canada. I think that's accurate. The The one thing I will say, though, is this does often happen, right? NFL players show up, and we've heard countless, countless, you know, marquee CFL players talk about this. Milt Stiegel, for instance, talked about this. Well, I thought I was just going to show up, and because I was in the NFL, I was going to dominate immediately and then, you know, turn right around and go back to the back to the U.S., right, back to the NFL, and that doesn't happen. Right. It happens very rarely. You know, a Cameron Wake will show up, dominate from day one. Doug Flutie would be an example. Very good quarterback. Even in his first season, eventually became arguably the best player of all time in the league. But by and large, these guys show up and they're not standout talents. They are just guys who are competing for jobs with other extremely talented players. One guy who I will say came into the CFL, took it seriously, took on a leadership role from the get-go was Jamal Westerman, who signed with a big money deal with the Bombers in 2015 because he counted as a Canadian in the CFL. But he took it seriously, didn't show up, treat it like a joke. He came in in shape, did things the right way. He is in the minority in that. I'm really interested to see which of these big-name acquisitions in Toronto do the same. Yes, sir. Uh, you made a list of each team's CFL's or each CFL team's most iconic player. Take us through it and your criteria, because to me, this varies person to person. Yeah, so I wrote the article this week, and I mean, it's something I've been thinking about ever since John Bowman and the Montreal Alouettes basically came out and said that they're parting ways, right? The Montreal Alouettes said, look, after, you know, 15 seasons, we're not offering John Bowman a contract. And I started thinking about, you know, in the free agency era, this isn't just a CFL thing, though the CFL probably has, you know, more transitionary players from year to year than any other pro league, at least that I'm aware of, uh, is guys, you know, it's it's becoming routinely more rare uh, for guys to spend their whole career with one team. And John Bowman is a lifelong Montreal Alouettes and signing with them in 2006, it's the only CFL team he's played for. And so my list that you can find on the site is basically saying, you know, if the criteria is exclusivity, in other words, never playing for any other team, just 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 that one CFL team, and secondly, playing, you know, longevity, playing with that team for more than a decade, which player is the most iconic league-wide? And I've had literally dozens of messages, emails, <laughs> tweets, whatever, for people saying, how can you not pick Angelo Mosca and Hamilton? Well, he played for two other teams. He played for Montreal and Ottawa. How can you not pick Anthony Calvillo Montreal? Well, he played for Las Vegas and Hamilton. So it is an arbitrary way of doing it, I will say. But it's my way of doing it, and it's just my opinion. Uh, so I, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting to look at guys who have never played for any other team. And if people want to quantify, you know, I, I, you know, what makes a player iconic in a different way, that's cool. But to me, I love it when guys spend their whole career with one team. Call me corny. I think it's great. I'm with you, buddy. And that goes back to the olden days. And I feel like for a lot of people, that's why their list is different. That's why you're getting all these messages. Because when I think of iconic, I think of bigger than life people. And for me, Doug Flutie was that because when I first started watching the CFL, he was dominating. And I'll never forget when I got to meet him, fortunately enough, on the sideline of what was then Skydome and is now Rogers Center, he had this cutoff muscle shirt on and it was a crop top too. So you could see he was just shredded. He had a six pack. And to me, he was a superhero figure. And I think of that in the same terms as being iconic. Whenever I think of the CFL, 
Doug Flutie's the first one that comes to mind. So he would have been my most iconic player for the league. But people would argue that because they would talk about the history and tradition <laughs> of it. But for me, Hodge, that was the guy that got me interested in it. That's fair. The problem with Doug Flutie is he was in the league for, what, seven years? And he played great for three different teams. You can't place him anywhere. Uh, Dugster, the Edmonton Oilers are in discussions with the Alberta Health Service Department about bringing fans back to games. EE football team president Chris Presson said in a statement to Three Down Nation, quote, this is great news and we would show the progress we are all hoping for. We know that fans in Edmonton want to see a safe return of live sporting events, and it's promising that the Oilers Entertainment Group is leading the way by consulting with experts and healthcare professionals on how to do so. End quote. What does this mean for Edmonton and the CFL as a whole? Well, it could mean that fans potentially are back in the stands earlier than we thought. And of course, it needs to be done in a safe manner, Hodge. But as much as we love football, in this country, hockey rules the day, just like football south of the border, right? The NFL played an entire season, actually had fans in some of their stadiums. Obviously, there was some of the Super Bowl as well. So if we look at Canada, it's good that the North Division is going and hockey games are being played up here because it gives the precedent for the CFL to be able to do the same thing, get the players into the country, go through the quarantine, lays out the testing that you're going to have to do. And we've heard talk of what it's going to cost, and the teams really feel like that might be just the way business is going to have to be done to get on the field in 2021. Well, the same thing could happen with fans in the stands. If the Edmonton Oilers get fans in an indoor arena at Rogers Place that probably holds roughly, give or take, 20,000, then you're going to be able to have fans in an outdoor stadium. And if we're looking at Edmonton, Commonwealth Stadium is the biggest stadium in the league. It could hold just <laughs> over 60,000, man, when it's jam-packed full. So, you know, the Edmonton football team hasn't necessarily been selling out games, but they would have the most limited capacity, if you want to put it that way. So it's certainly a positive that, in a sense here, hockey is leading the way and the CFL can follow that blueprint. Yeah, I think it's great. Anytime you don't have to invent the wheel, you can just roll right with what somebody else is doing. And that's a huge positive. And I'll say that you, you hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned. I'm not a healthcare professional and I'm not someone who's an expert on pandemics. So I don't want to speak out of turn. But I will say, if you have a stadium that is outdoor and can seat 60,000 plus people, to me, it would seem ridiculous that you can't have some, some people in, especially considering that Alberta's current projection has a lot of you know elderly people or healthcare workers who should be vaccinated by that time. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but there were lots of places in college football who had fans. ESPN had a report saying there was no evidence of spikes in states that had fans versus no fans. If there's ever a place you could social distance, it's Commonwealth Stadium. On that note, Dunkster, we got to take another break. When we come back, it's time for Hodges Heritage Moment in the three-minute drill. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. Dunkster, on this day in 2008, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders traded reigning CFL most outstanding player, Kerry Joseph, to the Toronto Argonauts in exchange for offensive lineman Glenn January, 
defensive lineman Ronald Flemons, a first-round draft pick in 2018, and a second-round draft pick in 2010. Joseph threw for 4,174 yards, 17 touchdowns, and 14 picks in his first season with the Argos, who finished the year 4-14 and amid a head coaching change. January and Flemons did not last more than a year with the Riders, though the first-round pick acquired from Toronto was used to select Keith Scholl again, who was a key part of Saskatchewan's defensive line for six years. Can you believe how many franchise quarterbacks Eric Tillman traded away <laughs> during his time in the CFL? This is like That's podcast four. Yeah. This is podcast four. I feel like we've talked about three big Eric Tillman trades. Anyways, Tuckster, time for the three-minute drill. We'll start off with NFLer Sam Aguavin, who recently said in an interview he was almost ready to quit football after getting hurt during his first season with the Riders in 2017. Can you believe that? I couldn't, honestly, man. And what it shows, again, is a lot of us like to think that we know the players so well, but what goes on behind the scenes, a lot of things we'll really never know. Guavin was revealing on the Rod Peterson show, and it was intriguing to hear that he almost quit, and his parents urged him to come back, have a dynamite season, and then now he's in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. Tony Dungy said he had the chance to play quarterback for the Montreal Alouettes, but switched possessions instead so he could play in the NFL. Isn't that wild? Tony Dungy might have been an all-time great, Hodge. He could have been competing against Warren Moon in the 80s. Yeah, well, Tony Dungy also said uh, this year that apparently you don't have to be very good to play quarterback in the CFL. So I guess apparently he would have been great because, as he said, <laughs> you just, you know, Chris Trevlin can't make that throw in the, in the NFL. Uh, anyways, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders officially signed Saskatoon native Brett Boyko giving them six Sasky boys under contract along the offensive line. Your thoughts? Let's go all Sasky, man. Just make it happen. You clearly have the ability to do it. Boyko and Evan Johnson have played tackle. They can do it. So let's move on. In a story you broke, Hodge, longtime CFL GM Jim Pop is coaching at Alabama State. Big deal or no? I think it's just good to see him back in football. I mean, how's the ship sailed on him becoming a CFL GM again? Likely, but we always know Jim Pop was itching at the opportunity to coach. And so the fact that he's in the NCAA, he's coaching running backs, and he's serving as the assistant head coach, I think I think it's great. Good for him. The Chicago Bears re-signed former Calgary Stampeders defensive end James Vodders. You miss seeing him play in the CFL? I do, buddy. He was a great fit up here, but honestly, he's carved out a role down there with Chicago when a lot of people feel like he wouldn't even sign a contract. The Bears were his only workout, I believe, that offseason that he left Calgary, and he certainly earned it, that money, with Chicago. Edmonton signed the XFL's fourth-leading receiver in Jalen Tolliver, reuniting him with Jamie Elizondo. Could that be another target? legitimately for Trevor Harris to throw to? Yeah, Edmondson has no shortage of receivers, but I'm interested to see what Elizondo's background with this guy from the XFL is and how it could impact that offense. Last one, Dunkster, the Seattle Seahawks released star-crossed receiver Josh Gordon. Do you think he ends up with the Argos? Dude, this is a borderline massive story to be keeping an eye on 
because I do think there's a little, a legitimate chance, not a little chance, big chance. The first step needed to be him released from the Seattle Seahawks. That's happened. He's playing currently, Hodge, in the fan-controlled football league, and vice president of player personnel for the Argos, John Murphy, is involved in that league. So if you start putting the dots together, and oh, by the way, Gordon is on the Argos negotiation list. And if you look at all the NFLers they've already signed, I know we got to go quick. This offseason, Martavis Bryant was put on the negotiation list. They signed him. Shane Ray, former first-round pick, was put on the neg list. They signed him. If you follow the pattern, they don't put guys on the neg list that they don't think are long shots. And there's been a standing relationship there with Gordon and Murphy going all the way back to Murphy's days as an assistant general manager with the Calgary Stampeders. He put him on the neg list again with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And really, Gordon's only issues have been substance abuse, namely marijuana, and it's legal in Canada, Hodge, so bring him up here. Let's play ball. By the way, one of Josh Gordon's good friends from college is... Who you got? Willie Jefferson. Ah. On that note, we thank you folks for listening, as always, to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next week, and who knows, you might hear from us sooner with an exclusive interview. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.